0: Red Rocks Church, how we doing, guys? Oh, come on, who's excited for church tonight? Let's go. I love this. My name is Doug. If I haven't met you, I would love to meet you. Welcome, you guys, to our brand-new series that we are calling Religion Rehab. And I hope you're excited because this is going to essentially be like one sermon Over the period of six weeks, that kind of builds on itself as we go, and we are expectant and excited to get real in this series, and so I want to challenge you, don't miss church, and if you have to miss church, catch up online to make sure you don't miss any of this, because it's about to get real. For real, like, I I don't know if you came to church for the community or for a cup of coffee or for a cool bracelet that we'll give you on your way out tonight. Like, I I don't know, maybe it was a sermon with three points and a poem to take notes in your color-coordinated diary. I'm not sure why you're here, but I have a feeling that the creator of everything is interested in some life transformation starting tonight to take place over the next six weeks. And so thank you for being here. Like, I I don't want to waste your time, and I'd rather just get real right from the get-go, if that's okay. We are calling this series Religion Rehab. And it's an edgy series title. But here's the heart behind it, is we, we would bet that every human being, Christians and non-Christians, every human being to some extent has been burned in some way, shape, or form by the concept of religion. And therefore, all of us to some extent, are in need of a little bit of religion rehab. That being said, this this series is not about bashing the church or throwing stones at Christians. This is not a series that's going to make a case for why you might feel justifiably burned or mad at the church, although that's probably true, and I'll give you that, and I'm sorry for that, and we'll talk about that. But just because something is true doesn't necessarily mean that it's helpful. And like Albert Einstein would say, you can't fix a problem with the same consciousness that created that problem. You need to get up and you need to get above it. And so the point of the series is not to bash, it's to build. The point of the series is not deconstruction. The point is reconstruction, releasing religion, releasing religion and stepping forward into freedom, releasing religion and, and restoring relationship, releasing religion so words like repentance can be redeemed in your life and words like obedience no longer have to be like a weight on your shoulders but rather can start feeling like, like a breath of fresh air the point of the series is forgiveness for the sake of wholeness to be bigger than what's happened to us, to stop trading away our right to be free our Christ blood given right to be free so we can hang on to our right to be, to be mad. That's not why Jesus came. Jesus came so we could release religion and get on with our lives in wholeness and completion, moving forward in freedom. He came so that we could rehab some religion and say yes to a much better invitation. And in case you're wondering, well, what is that invitation? And where is it in the Bible? I'm so glad you asked. It's in Matthew 11. Verse 28, and I'm gonna read it for you right now in the message version. And this is red letters in your Bible because this is straight out of the mouth of Jesus. He says this, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? If so, here's the invitation, three simple words. He says, come to me and you will recover your life. Come to me. Let's release religion and let's say yes to a, to a much better, a much more captivating invitation. I want to show you this in a story in John chapter 8. If you have your Bibles, go there really quick. If not, this will be up on the screen. You might know this story as the story of the woman who was caught in adultery. Here's the scene. John chapter 8. At dawn, he, being Jesus, went to the temple again and all the people were coming to him and by the way, this is the last and final day of their biggest religious festival that they have every single year. Jesus, on the final day at dawn, went to the temple again and all the people were coming to him. He sat down and began to teach them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, making her stand in the center teacher they said to jesus this woman was caught in the act of committing adultery now in the law moses commanded us to stone such women so what do you say jesus they asked him this to trap him in order that they might have evidence to accuse him how many know it never goes well when you try to trap jesus jesus in this moment he stoops down and starts writing on the ground with his finger when they persisted in questioning him, he stood up and said to them, how about this? Let's do this, guys. The one of you who is without sin in your life, you should be the first to throw a stone at her. And then he stoops down again and continues riding on the ground. And when they heard this, they left one by one, starting with the older men. How many know you get more humble and you get wiser the older that you get Starting with the older men And only one only one was left at the end of all of this And it was Jesus Left alone with the woman in the center And when Jesus stood up He said to her, woman Where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, Lord She answered Neither do I condemn you Said Jesus And now go And from now on do not sin Anymore It's John 8. We'll call this message today, if you're taking notes, there's an order to this. This whole Christianity thing, you guys, there's an order to this. And so, God, we love you so much. Let your presence, let your spirit invade this space, God. I feel you here. I feel you here like in a tangible way right now. Holy Spirit, know how welcomed you are in this house every single week. God, thank you so much for all the amazing things you've done so far on this church journey for this family, God. And I pray even for the next six weeks for this journey called Religion Rehab, God, that you would give us the courage, the kindness, and the grace for the ride. I pray, God, for for deep healing, and I pray for radical new levels of forgiveness for people for the sake of experiencing wholeness in their life, and I pray people would would feel new levels of freedom they never thought possible for them. It's a bold prayer, but we pray it, and we pray it in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, and everybody said, amen, Sarah, thank you. Come back with like 10 minutes left. Make me sound spiritual again. It's going to work. And just watch, even if you get nothing else, until then she'll come back and, like, you're like, oh man, this is good all of a sudden. It's the Holy Spirit padding, it's great. Okay, where are my math people at? High and proud, raise your hands. My math people, like, in the house of God, you're willing to admit in front of God and all these witnesses that you are, in fact, like, good at math. Okay, a few of you, like, three of you. This is great, you guys. Not a strong contingency here at the 7 o'clock, but where are my non-math people at? Let me see you raise your hands. Okay. <laughs> oh, I love this. Okay, so, like, wait, where, when, who in here is just, like, against math? You're like... I'm not even bad at it, like, it's just, math is fake. Math is a conspiracy. The government created it to, like, control us. You're like a flat earther, and you're like, math is not real, right? Okay. It is real, and the earth is round, because it just is. We have pictures of it, but... Um, My buddy George showed me this equation, and we're we're going to put it up on the screen. This went around on social media for a while. Do not yell out the answer yet. I want to let you just have like 10 seconds to compute this in your brain, in your own fantastical brain, compute this equation. Five more seconds. Three more seconds. Two, one. Okay, I'm going to count to three. And when I count to three, you're gonna yell out the answer to this equation, okay? One, two, three. (laughs) So we are united on no number, united across the spectrum. I heard like 10 different numbers. I heard some eights, some sixes, some ones, some threes. I'm pretty sure I heard like every number. The right answer to this equation is, in fact, eight. Eight is the right answer. Who knows why? Because of PEMDAS. And in case you're like, what the heck is that? That is not a cuss word. That is actually, in mathematical language, that is called the order of operations, okay? And it means we do certain functions like multiplication and division before we do addition and subtraction. And by the way, if you got this question wrong, it probably means you were cool in high school. So just feel better about yourself, like, generally, okay? That's why I nailed this question. Is that braggy? It might be braggy, but like, guys, math is just, math is my thing, okay? Always has been. That's why I'm a pastor now, okay? Because math and Christianity are very similar. You see how I just made this spiritual? Like, watch this. I'm, I'm for real. Math and Christianity are very similar because in both of them, the order matters, In Christianity, the order matters. In fact, if you get it out of order, you no longer have Christianity. Here's just one example. As soon as you put rules in front of relationship, you no longer have Christianity. Like you might have all the ingredients there, but how many know, like, there's an order to this. Turn to your favorite neighbor right now and say, there's an order to this. There's an order to this. Now turn to your other neighbor, your second choice, and say, other neighbor, there's an order to this. I want you to know, too. Guys, there's an order to this. All the ingredients might be there, but the order affects the outcome. The order affects the outcome. Christianity is a relationship before a religion. And you might be thinking, well, Doug, that's really cute and that sounds right. But do you have like a visual aid you could use to like help us better understand this? And I'm so glad that you asked because we actually today happenstance, like we have a ladder on stage. And so here's what's going to happen. This ladder is going to represent for us the concept, the theory of religion. And so just to make this simple, religion is man searching for God. I am going to behave my way to heaven. I am going to earn and deserve my way to heaven, right? Religion says, hey, you want to be accepted? Well, then you better start being acceptable. Hey, you want to be loved? Well, then you better get your stuff together and start living a life that's a little more lovable, right? You behave, you behave, you behave, and eventually you will belong, and hopefully somewhere along the way you will also believe. And by the way, this is the backbone of every major world religion except for one. And it was C.S. Lewis who famously transitioned from an atheist to a Christian for this reason. Because he said Christianity of all the religions is the one that no human being could think up. In other words, like you take the ten smartest people in the entire world and you put them all in a room together and you say, Hey guys, come up with the next world religion. You're not coming out until you come up with it. Good luck. Like they would start with this ladder in mind. This would be the foundation that they start with. Nobody would think up the story that we read about in the Bible. And here's what I mean by that. Nobody would think up a God whose love for his people was so unconditional and so, dare I say, reckless, that he actually decided to come down the ladder and get us because he knew we would never be able to get to him on our own. Religion says, I obey so that I can be accepted, but Christianity says, no, 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 I'm accepted already, therefore, I obey like the story of the bible is not that god like sent his one and only son because like we like he couldn't help himself because we we loved him so much that he just had to send jesus like he's in heaven and he's like oh they sure do want me down there oh they love me so much okay guys i'm coming No, the story of the Bible is John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he just couldn't help himself. It was God's love for us that made him send his one and only son, Jesus, down the ladder to come and get us. We'll say it this way, one more way. Religion is sustained by man's fear of God. Christianity is sustained by God's love For man, there's an order to this. There's an order to this relationship before religion. Now, in John chapter 8, we stumble upon a very religious scene. Okay? We stumble upon a scene with Jesus and this people group and their religion. ...was given to them in the Old Testament from God through Moses, the law, the Ten Commandments. And by the way, the requirement for the Ten Commandments is perfection. The requirement with no grace... For the Ten Commandments is perfection. And I know this might sound harsh, but this woman has broken the Ten Commandments. She has broken the law, and she rightfully, according to the system, according to religion, she rightfully deserves an execution. In fact, this is what the Mosaic Law demands. And the same is true for the guy, by the way, that she slept with, It takes two to tango. We don't know where this guy is right here. He's conveniently absent from the scene. Maybe he's in the angry mob holding a rock. We don't know. That's another series for another day. Regardless, to make this a little bit more personal for all of us, the point of this story is actually not... Guys, don't be like these jerks with these rocks. Come on, guys. WWJD. Be more like Jesus. Guys, seriously, we need nicer people, kinder people, drop the stones, come on, let's be, let's, let's go do what Jesus would do. Like, that's true, absolutely, but that I would say that's like layer three or four to this story. So it's true, but the primary point of this story is that you are this woman. And so am I. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. And like all of us will at some point in our lives, this woman gets found out in this moment. Dragged out of a tent, exposed, like like every, every bit of the bad and the ugly about her life is exposed. She is exposed for being a breaker of God's law. And then Jesus, who is God, and wrote the law, shows up on the scene and stops it. And so right there you think, well, two things. I think, man, well, Jesus, you're awesome. First of all, like, way to go. That's cool. But secondly, like, it's not not fair, though. Like, you're breaking your own law. You're not being just, and you have to be just in order to be perfect because you have to be perfect in order to be God. Like, are you, are you cheating your own system, Jesus? Like, is this like, did Jesus kind of step in and say to the woman, like, woman, like, good news for you, I'm not with these guys. Like, I'm not the grumpy, mean God from the Old Testament. Like, I'm the son. I'm the chill God. So, like. I'll look the other way. You hurry up. Get out of here before I have to kill you. Hurry up. Like, I won't tell if you don't tell. Like, is, is he giving, like, sin the wink and the gun here? Like, it's no big deal? Like, and saying, like, guys, this whole, this whole law thing, like, not really working out for any of us, right? Let, let's just forget about it, right? Like, he, he has foreknowledge. And so Jesus, like, when you wrote the Ten Commandments, you had foreknowledge of this scene and of this event. Like, Jesus, there is an execution rightfully deserved here. There's an execution deserved here, and there is only one way that Jesus can intervene in this scene and let this woman go and simultaneously stay within the confines of justice. And that is if Jesus takes the execution on her behalf and of course we all know this was his plan like from the very beginning before the foundations of the world the lamb was slain like even back when he wrote when he authored the ten commandments like the ten commandments actually preach the gospel to us The law preaches the gospel to us. Most Bible scholars would agree that the Ten Commandments can be divided in two halves, five and five. The first five commandments pertaining to our vertical relationship with God and the second five commandments pertaining to our horizontal relationships with each other. And so five and five. Five is a significant number in the scriptures. In the scriptures, five is the number for grace. And so in the Ten Commandments, you have grace and you have grace. Or I could say it this way, from grace to grace. That gets even more interesting when you read John 1.16, which says this, And now out of his fullness, out of Jesus' fullness, we are fulfilled. And from him, we receive what? grace. Heaped upon more grace. And so even the Ten Commandments, you guys, foreshadow a day when we will need something more than the Ten Commandments. Even the Ten Commandments foreshadow a day when all of mankind will fail at keeping this perfectly and this perfectly. All of humanity will fail at it. And it foreshadows even another day later on when a God-man will come, fully God and fully man, named Jesus Christ. And he will do for us what we could not do on our own, which is keep the law perfectly. Like perfectly. That's why Jesus came and he says, hey, I'm not here to give sin the wink and the gun and pretend like it's no big deal. I am not here to abolish the law. I am here to what? To fulfill the law once and for all I haven't come just to to simply look the other way I came to destroy sin once and for all through my perfection which is why 2nd Corinthians 5 21 says that after Jesus pulled off perfection and lived a perfect life that he hung on a cross and he, he became literal sin As he hung there on the cross, he became literal sin, and in one moment he absorbed all the punishment due all of our sin, along with this woman's execution. He absorbed all of it on the cross, and in that moment imputes to us his righteousness and his perfection he lives a perfect life so that he could die as a perfect sacrifice at the perfect time in order to perfect some very imperfect people this woman me and you jesus is well he's in control he knows the end from the beginning which is why he's so dang casual in this scene which, by the way, I don't know if you noticed when we read it, is a heated and heavy scene. Like, first of all, we got this woman caught in sexual immorality and dragged out of a tent. Like, how awkward is that, first of all, right? And then we've got an angry mob full of guys with rocks in their hands who are literally ready to stone her to death. And then we got Jesus who just... Like, steps in between both of these parties, and for not, like, even a second does Jesus think, oh, I hate confrontation. This is the conflict resolution part, and that's my least favorite part. And by the way, I hope I don't get hit with a freaking rock right now. Like, because that would hurt, right? And, like, Jesus is, like, he's calm. He's relaxed. He has a, a resting heart rate. He casually drops to his knees and doodles in the dirt. Looks at this woman in the worst moment of her life and catch this. He is not shocked by her sin. He's not shocked by her sin. And by the way, that's good news because we're that woman, you guys. Jesus is not shocked by your sin. Even on your worst day, in your worst moment, when you, when you feel so like, dirty and angry and so unlovable, God in that moment does not look at you and go like, oh, oh my me. oh!" Even with all my infinite wisdom and foreknowledge, I, I was not ready for this. I was not prepared. Ooh, like God's never looked at you like that. What does Jesus say to this woman at the end of all of this? He says, neither do I condemn you. You cannot say that sentence with a scowl on your face. It is impossible. Now, maybe churches have looked at you with that kind of expression before. Maybe Christians have looked at you with that kind of expression before. Here's the reason for that. It's because every human being, like not just Christians, guys, all human beings are obsessed with the behavior of other human beings. Meanwhile, you've got Jesus who is obsessed with the backstory behind the behaviors of human beings. Because you better believe this woman has a backstory. You don't end up in that tent that morning doing what she was doing unless there is hurt and pain in your life that you're trying to numb and escape. You don't become a drug addict Unless there is hurt and pain in your life that you were trying to numb and escape. You only hurt people when you've already been hurt by people. There's a backstory. Nobody like plans on an affair. Or or a divorce. Nobody chooses depression or anxiety. All of these behaviors have a backstory, which is why, which is why. Listen to this: there is not a person on this planet you could not learn to love if you simply just took the time to get to know them. Every behavior has a backstory. Jesus knows this woman. Like guys, Jesus knows this woman hey, you guys, Jesus knows this woman. Why am I saying that over and over again? Because I think that sentence right there kind of gets lost on us in 2019. You know, we are called the most connected generation, and yet at the very same time, never before has there been a group of people more lonely than we are. Because we're connected, but like there might be some of you in here and you would honestly say, nobody really knows who I really am. Isolation, right? Like what do we do? We, we show our best and we, we hide the rest because we have the option of doing that. But this woman in this moment, she does not have that option. Like it or not, she is exposed and on display in every possible way. There's, like not the good, there's no good. In this situation, there's just the bad and the ugly, and everybody can see it. Like it or not, in this moment, she is 100% completely known. And I would argue this, like I believe this with all my heart, that this day in her life began as the worst day of her entire life. And I believe with all my heart that it's about to shift and transition into the greatest day and the most the most life-giving, life-transformative day and moment of her entire life because she's about to find out what it feels like to be fully loved in the same moment that you are fully known. Fully known and fully loved at the exact same time. Like, do you know what that feels like? Like, really fully known and fully loved simultaneously. This is my favorite quote by Tim Keller. Check this out. To be loved but not known is comforting. My gosh, that is us to a T. To be loved but not known is comforting. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. Of course it is. But to be fully known and truly loved is a lot like being loved by God. And so let's just, let's say in this scene we have this woman. And then let's say, hypothetically, we have like like in the angry mob of people with rocks, there's 39 people, okay? So in this scene, other than Jesus, there are 40 human beings. And in this scene, in that moment, there are 40 human beings who are fully loved by God. God completely and truly loves every single one of them. However, there is only one who gets to experience the life-giving and breathtaking freedom of being fully loved while she is also fully known. And that's this woman, which is why I would say this went from the worst morning of her life to her testimony that she talks about every single day from this point on because she knows what that feels like, true unconditional love when all of her dirty laundry is aired out for everybody, including a perfect God to see. He is infinitely aware of all your imperfections and infinitely committed to your future at the very same time. Because while religion might say do, Jesus says done. And because of that, signed, sealed, and delivered in his blood is a brand new status that is now yours for the rest of forever. And that status says that you are accepted, loved, chosen, amen, cherished. You, you belong, guys. You belong. You belong. You belong at this church even if you don't believe what we believe. You know why I can say that? Because I believe if you truly experience the love of Jesus, you're not going to be able to not believe. You belong at this church. So I have this dream... Of one day when I'm 70, I will be a member at the Pebble Beach Golf Course and Country Club in Monterey, California. Amen. Now, I did some research this past week, and I found out, okay, there is a $48,000 non-refundable initiation fee plus $300 due every single month for the rest of your life, okay? And so clearly, it's only going to happen for this guy if somebody in this room has, like, a connection at Pebble Beach. No, okay. So the only other way it's going to happen is if, like, the literal angel Gabriel appears in the CEO of Pebble Beach's dream one night while he is sound asleep in his bed and appears in the dream and goes, take heart, do not be afraid, I am a messenger of the Lord. (laughs) Tomorrow, you will call Doug Weckenman and you will offer him and all of his buddies free membership at your country club. Either that or 99% off, right? Right? None of this 98% stuff. He's not going to be able to afford it if it's a 98% discount. 99% or above. My gosh, man, to belong (laughs) at this golf course. To belong at this golf course. Pebble Beach is the background on my phone and my desktop on my laptop. Like, oh, guys, to belong at Pebble Beach, man. I want you to take a second and think about the fact that you belong in the kingdom of heaven. All right, I'm talking the most expensive club that there is. And somebody else has offered to pay for you and every single one of your friends. The price to get into this club is perfect blood, which, by the way, you do not have. And neither do I. In fact, in all of history, there was only one who ever had perfect blood. His name was Jesus, and he actually gave it to you as he was being Crucify. You know what that's called? It's called grace, and it is a free gift meant to simply just be received. And now that you've received it, do not try and, and do not cheapen his gift to you by using religion to try and pay him back for it. Because once you belong, you belong. Once you're in, you're in. And by the way, he saved you and said that you belong with all the knowledge of everything that you've ever done your whole rap sheet, all the times you've ever been a knucklehead in your entire life. He knows about all of it with foreknowledge of everything that you're going to do in the future. Like that way, like way in the future, September 29th, 2054, when you screw up royally. Like God, like that's not a place that he knows about. He is outside of time, and that's a place that he is right now. Okay, watching you sin right now, not with a weird look on his face. He knows about that, and yet right here and right now, he loves you and saves you. You are fully known and fully loved. Like Even if you get caught in the act of sexual immorality and dragged out of a tent during a religious festival... I mean, it doesn't get much worse than that right there. Like, you do not have it in you to out the grace of God. I like you. You're great. You're not that good. And you're not that powerful. Once you're in, you're in. You belong. Why? Because you know the CEO of the club. You know him. Therefore, you have a new status, Permanently purchased for you by the perfect blood of Jesus Christ. And that status says that from this moment on, you will forever be, at every breath you ever take in your life for the rest of eternity, you will forever be completely known and completely loved at the exact same time. Christian, this is part of your new covenant package. And this is the starting point for your religion rehab. And you need to know this like you need to know this. Because if you don't know this, you'll get saved by grace, and then you'll still spend the rest of your days motivated by fear, or shame, or guilt, or obligation, working to keep yourself right with Jesus. This is an epidemic in our culture right now. And it's nobody's fault, it's just what happens. It's the natural current. But this is the cultural moment that we are living in right now. We had generation after generation who went to church religiously and brought their kids who observed it and saw that it was fake. So now we have a de churched and unchurched generation looking for something real out there in other places because they don't want to be feared into something, they want to love something. And all because we got this out of order. And all because we somehow ended up back at a ladder, the very thing that Jesus has already fulfilled which shows that we still don't fully understand how amazing his grace really is. And I heard a pastor named Michael Todd make this point. There's like this really old parable that says this. It's this story. It's, hey, imagine you're in a boat on a river. It's just you in that boat. And the current of the river is like, is pulling you to hell. And so you pray, and then all of a sudden the sky opens up, and Jesus comes down on a white horse like, oh. And he hands you a paddle, and the paddle's like glowing because it's from Jesus, right? He gives it to you, and then he floats back on up into heaven. And you, you are now divinely enabled to paddle your way away from hell and get to heaven. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is grace. And if you're not careful, you'll think that that is actually biblical. Because it sounds right. There's a lot of big words in there. And grace does divinely enable you. So, paddle, paddle, paddle. You know what the only problem with that is? That is not amazing grace. That is amazing you. Paddle, 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 Christian. Climb, climb, climb. That is not amazing Jesus. That is amazing you, because you can do amazing things when you are driven by fear, especially the fear of hell or the fear of not being loved. Amazing things. And, and here's the thing about this. like if you're, if you're a good enough paddler, if you're a good enough climber, You'll actually, like, start to make your way a little bit up this ladder. But as you do that, you know what happens is pride and self-righteousness. And you'll start, like, climbing this ladder. And all of a sudden, you're looking around and you're like, look at all these bad people. Man. Like, I know I'm, like, bad, like, biblically, like, technically, like, we're all bad. But I'm, like, the, like, good bad. You know? Like, dude, like, not like them. Like, hey, dude, they, they hooked up last night. I didn't do that. Like I looked at porn in my room by myself, but that's like the lesser of two evils. Like we start making like delineations, like I'm good, bad, but they're bad bad. And if you're not careful, you will get one rung off the ground and start throwing stones at other people. Like there is like that's the human condition. There is no winning with this system. You go up and there's pride, and if you come back down, which we all do like daily, Shame. Pride, crushing it. Ah, oh, there's shame. Dang it. Man, he loves me. He loves me not. Right? Oh, I belong today, guys. Oh, not so much now. Oh, man, I'm accepted because I'm obeying. Oh, but I, I messed up. So surely God's mad at me right now. Like, oh, I'm good. I'm crushing Christianity. I'm in trouble. Right? Pride and shame. Like, oh, man, I got this Christianity thing down. Oh, except now I drank a little bit too much last night, so I guess I'm, I'm down. I'm out. Can't belong today, so let's see. I'll go to church, and I will, I will volunteer at Kids Rock. Okay, I am back in, baby. Like, me and JC are boys. Like, this is, this is my new life. You're looking at the new me. Oh, except I took too many of my prescription pills. And in fact, I've been doing that for a while and nobody knows about it, so I guess I'm back down here. Shame, right? So you think, okay, let me, I'll give that homeless guy 10 bucks and uh, I will punish myself with one week of self-inflicted condemnation and shame because God loves that. Okay, I'm back in. And I am making a vow right here, right now that I will always belong. You are looking at a new me, and I will never ever be down again. I will never be out of anxiety's back. Can you be in and have anxiety at the same time? Like, do I really trust God if I have panic attacks about tomorrow? Man, divorce, depression, drugs, abortion. Can you belong? If if those are on your rap sheet, like, is the grace of God really that amazing? Is it really that good? Man, I better help Jesus out. I better work to keep myself right with the big man upstairs, right? Pride and then shame. This day and then that day. I'm going up. I'm going down. He loves me, he loves me not. I'm in, I'm out. He loves me, he loves me not. And then eventually, you're exhausted and your friends are looking at you like, "Bro, are you okay?" And you're like, "Dude, I'm fine. I'm just following Jesus." <laughs> oh, and by the way, you should too, man. It's awesome. You need to get on this. It's great. And your friends look at you and rightfully go, "Uh, I'm good, bro." Because you're in your personal hell right now so with your religion. So I'm better off just like, I'll, I'll do me, you do you. <laughs> Call me if you need a break, right? Because somehow we, like we take, like the story of Jesus is the most beautiful, captivating, and intriguing story that the universe shall ever know. And somehow we keep taking the story of Jesus... And somehow bringing it back to the story of religion. And the story of religion was attractive and intriguing to nobody ever. Like ever. What, what, what's captivating about this story? Nothing. And let me just maybe set somebody in the room free tonight. Like, hey, if you love Jesus, then you're in and you belong and you're accepted, period. Like period. You're just in, man. It's not my opinion. It's a fact, signed, sealed, and delivered in the blood of your Savior who came down the ladder. Like you're in and you're not out because you have depression. You're not out because you had a divorce. You're not out because you had an abortion. You're not out because the sin that you struggle with is like the taboo stuff that we never talk about and so it kinda isolates you and makes you feel weird. Like you're not out because of that. You're not out because you're full of lust. You're not out because you have suicidal thoughts. You're not out for any of that and do you wanna know how I know that? It's because you're not the one who went up this ladder to make yourself right with God Almighty in the first place. He's the one who came down this ladder and did for you what you could never do on your own. And Christianity is sustained by God's love for you, not the other way around. And you are not consistent, but guess what? He is 100% consistent all the time, every day. His love never changes. He stays the same through the ages. And you can take that to the bank. You are are accepted and you are in. Accepted and you are in. Just for the rest of forever. Like the amazing grace really is that amazing. It really is that amazing. You believe and then you behave. Not the other way around. Put rules before relationship. You no longer have Christianity. Man, I belong, I believe, and then I behave, except now I'm not obeying to be accepted. Like, I'm mean, i already loved. (laughs) He loves me so much. I love him so much. Therefore, like, it's like my delight to obey. It's my honor to obey. Like David said, like, the law, it's like honey on my lips now because I got the order right. Like, what's the order of the final two things Jesus said to this woman? I don't condemn you, woman. I don't condemn you. So now, therefore, go and leave your life of sin. And that's a much more captivating and beautiful story than this. And so do you know that you're fully loved and fully known all at the same time? Like, do you know what that feels like? Maybe I'll ask it this way. Do you ever doubt, even for a moment, that you are fully known and fully loved? How about on your bad days? Because if you doubt it for even a second, then you probably need some religion rehab. Do you have delineations for like sin and rank some of them as like worse than others? Because if you do, like do you grade yourself on a curve around like other Christians? Because if you do, you probably could use some religion rehab. Do you think God's a little more pumped about you on the day that you wake up at 5 a.m. and memorize another chapter in Galatians before you pray for everybody in your phone book in your crushing life? Do you think he's more in love with you on days like that? Because if you think that, you could probably use some religion rehab. When you mess up again for the hundredth time and you know better by now, do you hesitate for even a second to run back confidently to the throne of grace because if you hesitate for longer than a millisecond you could still use a little bit more religion rehab do you talk about and gossip about other people's sins and struggles when they're not in the room do you make fun of of famous people because they struggle publicly And you think, oh, it's not harmful because I'll never meet them or know them. Because if you do, you could probably use some religion rehab. If you've ever been hurt by a church or if you have baggage from religion or from people right? Like, hey, how about this? If you, like, drive by an old church that has a steeple and something, like, in your spirit, like, feel like feels weird, or you walk into, like, a cathedral where there's stained glass windows and, and pews, like, if something in you feels, like, weird and reminded of church baggage, then that means there's a part of your spirit that is longing to be redeemed and set free. God wants to redeem that, and if that's you, you could probably use some religion rehab, you guys, and if you find your sitting in victim valley and you're there because a church or a religion or somebody else wronged you and it put you there first of all I am so sorry that you're there I am so sorry that you're there and that is 100% not your fault and completely on them I'm just here to tell you that from this point on what you do about it is now on you Because you're sitting there and you're finding comfort in your anger and your bitterness. And God is calling you to stand up and walk with him until you walk out of that valley and forgive for the sake of wholeness. And if you don't mind me saying, get on with your life, like with completion with Jesus. And by the way, if you haven't received the free gift of Jesus' grace, you are off the hook for that. But if you have received the free gift gift of the grace of jesus christ he is not going to let you get away with camping out in a valley that he's calling you to stand up and walk out of so you can get on with your life and live zoe abundant life to the full with him and if that's you once again you probably could use some religion rehab but this is the starting point there's an order to this you belong you belong you belong. And this was like a conviction for me this week, and I, I'm done right here. I'm done right here. Because um, God was like, okay, just so you know, you are now accountable for what you know. So that's the danger of being an overtaught and underapplied generation. <laughs> The more sermons you listen to, the more podcasts you hear, the more books you read, the more you know and the more you're accountable for the things that you know. Like you are accountable for the fact that you know what the big man upstairs is capable of and the fact that you know the kind of freedom he wants you to walk in. Like, we're accountable for that. And I, like, I felt God, like, challenge me and convict me in an amazing way. And he said this, this is my time frame. I am I'm no way, shape, or form saying that this is your time frame. But he looked at me and said, Doug, if by next year at this time, the same old, same old church hurt is still a thing in your life. It's on you. And I'm still with you. I'm just saying, You're limiting yourself, not me and not them anymore. It's on you. You're accountable for what you know. I took a deep breath and I thought, okay, challenge accepted. Because what an honor it is not only to belong, but to have the privilege of healing with the king of the universe by your side. And so I want to extend to you the same invitation that Jesus said 2,000 years ago that has echoed through the scriptures and echoed through time and still stands just as real for you right here, right now. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Then go to Him. And you will. Everybody say will will you like not might you will recover your life amen so God we love you so much and we thank you God for a church to call home and I thank you God I pray that today right now would be like the genesis of a journey for so many people in this room listening to this sermon God that you would give them the courage to look inward and see what's there and not judge themselves when they find out what's there Because the only way you can heal it, faith only heals what we're willing to face. And so I pray you give us the courage to face it and see it for what it is. And then I pray you'd give us kindness, not just for each other, but for ourselves because you're kind to us, God. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then last but not least, Jesus, I pray for your amazing grace, not the the cheap grace like a paddle or like a ladder, but the amazing grace that can only come from an amazing savior and an amazing God to light the road and fuel us for the journey ahead. And so challenge us, call us forward, Give us the courage to stop trading away our right to be free because we want to hold on to something we know and the right to to be mad and the right to have something else to blame that's not ourselves. God, help us to let go and step into the unknown with you where we've never been before because that is where healing is found. We love you so much and we pray all of these things in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. And everybody said, amen. Red Rocks Austin, let's stand up and let's worship.